So welcome to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast, sponsored as always by Axis Communications, and thanks to our supporting partners, 3X Logic, Mighty, and Aura. Now, my guest this week is Noel Verbruggen. Now, one of the most highly respected and experienced professionals in the UK retail industry. Um, Noel has spent, uh, is it over 40 years working with household name retailers? Maybe we'll come back and check that offering his own unique brand of insight and independent advice. And you'll get that when Noel and I start talking. Now, um, way back when, started off with an apprenticeship at Post Office Telephone. Who is that, you may wonder? Well, for those of you that know the UK scene, that is now BT, British Telecom. Um, a few other stops along the way before joining Go Corporation as an installer of EAS. Now, um, RF tagging systems. That was way back in the late 1970s. Now, for those that don't know, those guys were the inventors of EAS. Uh, and that took Noel uh, extensive work uh, format in the UK, Europe, as well as a number of months in Japan. Now, all of that led through to the starting of Intrepid in June 93, possibly as an alternative to the large EAS companies at the time. Now, I do know that the business was originally run out of a garage at the rear of the garden until such time that the neighbours complained incessantly about all of the uh, deliveries and collections that eventually moved into a London in southwest London in the late 90s. And that, as you say, is kind of history and it built from there. Now, um, Noel's also recently been involved in stack care and moving to the home uh, monitoring market for vulnerable people. And I'm going to come on to that a little bit because uh, that really feeds into Noel's entrepreneurial spirit. So a quick whiz through his history and background. Lots more to delve into. But Noel, welcome and thank you very much for joining me. Thanks, Paul. It's good to be here. So, look, um, you, you've done a whole raft of uh, of, of things, a, a load of experiences, started some stuff, worked for some organisations. But way back when, when young Noel was still at school, staring out of the window, what, what was the actual intended career? What did you want to do? Uh, I did a lot of staring out the window. <laughs> daydreaming. Um, I wasn't particularly academic. My brother, who's four or five years older than me, was very academic, head boy and everything, you know, at the grammar school. So, of course, um, the teachers thought I was going to follow in his footsteps. And sadly, I disappointed them. I won't go into detail, but the later years of my schooling, up to when I was 16, well, I didn't cover myself in glory, put it that way. And I just really wanted to get out and work. I just, you know, I found it quite difficult to do exams. I couldn't really retain sort of information that well. And my memory still actually can be a bit hazy sometimes on certain information. Um, so I looked around at what I could do. I always wanted to be an architect you know, when I was a kid. Um, that obviously wasn't going to uh, happen for me, leaving school at 16. So uh, the careers officer came along uh, to the school hall, you know, um, and there was someone from, you know, post office telephones. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. I like fiddling around, wiring things up and stuff. So I managed to get in there, do an apprenticeship, which was three years, um, which I thoroughly enjoyed and then stayed a couple of years on before realising that um, it was an institution and I didn't want to be institutionalised. So I, I briefly joined uh, Electronic Adding Machine Company Servicing before stumbled across NOGO in 79, advert in the Evening Standard, uh, wanting 
service engineers to fit security systems, which, okay. you know, at the time I thought, oh, it's probably going to be burger alarms or something like that. When I went along for the interview, which was in a house in Rickmansworth, um, it turned out it was this tagging system, which at that time never even heard of them. You know, there were the odd ones around, but um, so, yeah, it was quite interesting. And I was lucky enough to get the job. They employed a couple of people, me and somebody else, Dave Abberley, uh, who's now left the industry. Um, and went from there and I stayed with them for the best part of 10 or 11 years, as you said, but, you know, working across the whole of the UK, Europe, and then um, spent quite a few months in Japan as well, which was interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, so you're there, um, you know, I mean, I presume the interview in a house, it was at the uh, at sort of uh, ground level, as it were, as it, as it built. Yeah. What, what point did you think, OK, I've got this uh, this great role in this big company, I'm being successful. I know. Let's go and start something crazy from the bottom of my garden. What 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 started that thought process? Uh, I became pretty disillusioned at no go towards the the late 80s. And I did various things. I was doing things like rewiring houses on the side, putting burglar alarms in anything to work for myself. And then um, I was lucky enough, uh, Ray Higgs, who you probably know, was with me at NoGo, and he'd, um, he'd joined a Dutch company called ID Systems. And I phoned him up and said, look, I've just had enough of crawling around the ground and basically making excuses for some of the systems we were installing at the time, which were way beyond spec. And I said, I fancy having a go at selling them. You know, I've fitted them for long enough. And um, so I joined them on the south side, commercial, and sort of cut my teeth learning that side okay. for two or three years. And they eventually got bought by Checkpoint. And I sort of thought, oh, uh oh, I can see me, <laughs> but I know, being stuck here. And I thought, no, now's the time to sort of branch out my own. And essentially, I, I bought a van and started servicing. Okay. Here really um we've done a bit of cctv at id systems so i'm sort of new about that as well in actual fact the first invoice i ever raised on intrepid was for cctv with um lily whites in piccadilly if you uh, yeah if you can remember them i can indeed uh, which was the only place you could buy a baseball glove i think in the uk at the time <laughs> no other sports shop sold them or anything like you know if you wanted something you know so rather than a football or a rugby ball, you went to Lily White's. Um, it was the go-to place. And so, and that, then, sorry, I was going to say, and then so that, that system that you put in there, that was you, you literally were just doing the the install. So it was all at this point, you know, just buying somebody else's kit. Yes, I can do that. Let me go and do it, and then yeah, send you okay. Yeah, and I had a, and but we did manufacture. I was buying in on the tagging side, buying in boards from Holland from the Netherlands and building when we were at the bottom of the garden we were actually building our own system so funny enough a friend of mine in Leicester one of his old schoolmates was a blacksmith <laughs> sounds a bit you know sort of antiquated but he he managed to make up 
you know, the antennas for me. You'd bend them and we'd get them chromed. I found a plastics company in Harlow, I think, to make the boxes. And so, first of all, I actually built my own systems and the intention was to, to carry on. And I realised that the investment to do that um, was just too much for me. And even though I've run my own business for, you know, 30 odd years now, that was a bit of a step too far. I'm not a man, you know, getting into manufacturing was a completely different thing. Knocking together some systems at the end of the garden was one thing, assembling them, but having a production line and that whole supply chain thing was way out of, you know, my my ability. So eventually I um, teamed up with a company called Dialogue, which were the older owners of ID Systems after they'd sold out yeah, to Checkpoint. They were, they were barred from trading and yeah. after that period had passed. They started manufacturing again and even today that's the system I sell, the RF system I sell. So that partnership goes back to 1990 with them. Wow. So library systems as well, things like that. So we went from, it was just out of necessity to, to have a proper system, you know, that was very well designed. There were very good engineers there. And I knew that I could compete with the with the big two or three companies out there, you know, which we did. And, 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 and so, you know, as you say, so Intrepid's now... 30 years old. You yeah, next year it'll be. So I'll okay. go back to the party next year. Yeah, so 2023, 30 years old. Yeah. It has been recorded. It's on this podcast. So right. uh, I shall look out for my invite. So okay. you've been in the security industry for 40 years. I mean, that, you know, you, you, you are properly, you know, there should be a statue of you somewhere, Noel, clearly, with that, that length of... Uh, Someone would only throw stuff at it. <laughs> It's amazing that you know for 30 years you've had the same vendor partner. I mean, as Intrepid started, who were those sort of yeah, early clients that you started to bring on board? I mean, how on earth do you go uh from okay, yep, we've sent an invoice to Lily Whites, we've got some kit, we've decided not to use the blacksmith to make our antenna. Mm. How how did you then progress to sort of uh you know getting a getting a raft of clients and growing growing the business? Um, I was lucky enough to, um, I had a good relationship with River Island at the time, um, and they are still a customer now. We still service that kit that we installed. So they're probably my oldest customer continuously. Little few bumps along the road, but, you know, um, and because we had a good system and it all went out to 10 and we were lucky enough to get the rollout, which was substantial. I forgot the exact number, but we're talking over 250 stores, which for a company like mine was incredible, you know, and we and, it, and everyone else pitched for it. So, you know, but we had a good system. And um, the other thing is I've always made sure that I've had, or we've had our own engineers, but very, very rarely subcontracted. In fact, I can't remember the last time that I used a subcontractor. So I've always had permanent engineers, um, some of which have been with me over 15 years now. So we offered a good service and we never we never walked away from a problem. Yeah, I was either, I've never turned my phone off ever, I don't yeah. think in 30 years, still got the same number. Um, 
um, but bizarrely, people don't phone me that often, so I assume I'm doing something right. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have phoned in the past and moaned and yeah. complained, but I've managed to get people there because when you when you have your own engineers, um, you can get them anywhere you want. Yeah, it's my decision or my ops manager's decision. So I'd like to think that that approach allowed us to deal with some of, some of the major names on the high street. Mm. Our forte is always fashion retail, mid to high end, um, certainly on EAS, on tagging. So the likes of Oasis, which is no longer around, that group, Morris and Michael Bennett, who originally owned that, um, I got on very well with them. Um, in fact, most of those companies, I sort of knew the owners. So I suppose I, I sort of sold myself, really. And I said, look, if there's, you know, I'll stand in front of the bus. Yeah. So I, I because think I couldn't offer anything else. I can't offer, yeah. you know, um, international coverage or anything like that or, the, or, or, you know, a big brand name. So I had to offer something else. And when you're a small business and you're in a niche business, you have to, you, you know, you that's the only thing you can offer is your honesty and your commitment. And that's what I've always done. And, and picking the phone up at seven o'clock on a Friday night when there is a problem, opposed to just ignoring it to a Monday morning, I think. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I always remember we had a call from a store in Dublin. There was a break in and I had a phone call and it was almost, it was like my fault. <laughs> that the, <laughs> the, the store manager, I think, had turned the system off or something. But, you know, I got someone there the next day. Anyway, you know, and that was a Friday night. And yeah. I had someone there on Saturday morning now. Yeah. And now so, that's the key, isn't it? I mean, you know, so often, you know, people go down the route of you know, outsourcing that install and service. And, yeah, I think just just uh, interesting, you've always gone down the uh, the route of having your own engineers. And uh, like you say, you're in charge of your own destiny, aren't you, to, to a degree at that point? Yeah. And also because, and I'm sure anybody listening to this who has been an engineer or done that or done any type of operational work you're the sort of fate you're the bit that, that the customer sees and no matter what we all do you know if i we, we, you know, i sell something and install it the yes maybe you know the customer might be a director of the business but the store manager sees my engineer that's the face of the company and i've always believed you'd never know who you're going to meet in any walk of life you don't know if the guy walking through the door is the owner of the business or the guy who's come to, you know, unblock the drain. You don't know that. And that's how I was always brought up. And that's what I instill in my in my people. You don't know who you're speaking to, so you better speak to them in the right way and treat them with respect, yes? Because it doesn't cost anything. And there's so many people now, you know, you look at certainly Tesco, Champion It and a few others as well, that promotion from within... Mm. Guy or girl at the helm was a store manager, deputy store manager back in the day. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I hear you. So yeah, look, I'm not going to, um, you know, I, I don't want to be disparaging about when people will come into, but you know, I've, I'm not a corporate person. Okay, clearly I'm not. You know, I'd, I'd be fired within 24 hours probably. Um, but, um, but I appreciate the corporate world. And I understand how it works. Is you know, and I have to. You know, we, we deal with some major companies. You know, I know I have to play 
play the game, for want of a better phrase, yes, because that's how those companies can't function if they don't do it like that. But I don't, I don't have to work like that, no. yes. And that's not what I, you know, if someone wants a big corporate entity, then I'm not the, then I'm not the one, okay? It's as simple as that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, Noel. I, I, I tried the corporate and uh, and were given my instructions on a clipboard and told to follow that. And uh, that got very dull fairly quickly. So we left that world. So look, way back when, Intrepid, you're there. And I, and I have heard rumours of, uh, of your neighbours genuinely uh, being upset when, the workshop, the office, and yeah. shipping. I think it was an old lady. She had like <laughs> Morris Minor, and every time she wanted to pull out, just my luck, the Interlink man had pulled up, yeah. and he'd be there half an hour having a cigarette and talking about everything. And she'd go, you know. So in in the end, I think she got the rest of the neighbours, you know, up in arms. So yeah. I said, "Look, okay, fair enough." Fair but job. I guess by that point, you you you've got a significant degree of success anyway so it was probably the right time to take the, the yeah. job to, a, to an industrial estate yeah I mean I've always I've, I'm a risk taker but I I do a lot of calculating before I you know before I jump sort of thing so I probably could have moved out earlier but I didn't there wasn't a need to I'm you know careful how I spend my money um and but it was at the right time. Things happen. It's all about timing. A lot of you know, it was the right time. The right property came up at the right time. We were expanding, and um, yeah, it all sort of fell into place. Really, yeah. So you know, there we are. If you like, way back when, early days of uh, of EAS, through to what we're seeing now. You know, there's not many people with your breadth of experience. But what would you say has been the biggest sort of change in the industry you've witnessed over time? You know, do you hark back to the older days of things changed? What's the, the single thing that you go, it bears no resemblance today to, to what it was before? Oh, if we're talking on tagging, um, the change, if I, sometimes it only seems like yesterday, but when I think of how complicated they were to install, we did no go started in the UK on the back of a CNA contract. About 85 CNAs at the time, and that was the rollout. And if I tell you now it took two weeks to install the tagging in a CNA store, you'll laugh. That'd be stupid. How can it take two weeks to install four or five antennas? But they just weren't like that. The, you know, the whole, and they needed radio engineers to install this stuff. And that's my background, yeah, which I did in the post office. And so you had to operate the oscilloscope, things like frequency counters. Um, some of this stuff was crystal control. I mean, we, we you're sort of going back, up, you know, to days almost like um, cat's whisker sort of thing, you know. Yeah. It's like, you know, it was that. And so you had to operate some fairly hefty test equipment and um, everything had to be cabled. So, we, you know, you'd see they had these huge detachers of the like size of house bricks. I always remember those. And then they had a reminder station that, you know, beeped when the, when the tag yeah, went over the cash and wrap area. Well, now you just buy them, plug them in, and, you know, away you go. Because they all sink and they don't interfere. But then, because the way the transmitters work, you had to cable them from a central point in the store 
and send a slave, like a slave signal to. And this was a major install. So if you had 20, 30 cash sets in a store, which some CNAs did, each one of those had to have a cable, and we had to cable them. And that was over, CNA stores were often three, four stores, weren't they? Like Yeah, um, full of asbestos ceilings when yeah. it wasn't dangerous. Yeah, there you go. So, look, fast forward to today. Um, yeah. What on earth, you know, is the machine running and you sort of sit there as, as the head or, you know, what takes up the bulk of your time at Intrepid? I know, you know, during the sort of the pandemic, you stepped back in, if that's the right term. But... Yeah, I, I, I sort of tried to semi-retire back in 2018, 17, 18. I moved out to the US predominantly, um, came back and... On the, on the trip I came back, you know, the lockdown started two days later. Oh. <laughs> Literally two days later, I packed my two kids off to the US um, and my wife went back and then I stayed, you know, I literally went in every, every day. There was still stuff to do. Um, and I've been sort of, uh, I've been back and forth to the US, obviously, since then. But essentially, I ended up running the business again full time. We were lucky enough to pick a nice contract up um, after the first lockdown with our smart track system, you know, our um, traveling CCTV system in about 20, we, we installed in about 20 odd DCs for a, a major supermarket chain because they're expanding obviously as online increased. <clears throat> yeah. They needed more warehouse space and they needed security. And lucky for us, we've done some track work with them. Um, a few years beforehand, and the director there wanted to put them in. So I, that happened, and I thought, oh, it should be right. And then I've just been here e ever since. <laughs> but I but I don't, I mean, I've, I've got a great general manager. I've got a great technical team. Um, there's not anybody who has been with me less than 10 years. Um, I just, I try and look out for new products. Yeah, apart from the boring stuff, looking at P&Ls and balance sheets, making sure, you know, we've got, you know, enough money and things like that. Um, website revamping, things like that. So it's generally overseeing. And the ultimate plan is to hand the business over to them, to the okay. staff. I tried to sell Intrepid on a number of occasions over the years, and it just didn't fly, to, to be honest. Primarily because we, it's a niche market, even though we just don't do tagging. We do lots of other things. Yeah. Um, Investors shy away slightly with retail because it's such a roller coaster, you know, to get it's quite hard to get value out of a business like that, really, you know, and particularly if you don't have large contracts and a number of large contracts in place. So I've just reinvested in the business. And as I said, hopefully um, I will hand it over in some form or other to my staff because it's oh. the best thing I can do, really. My kids don't want to know, I can't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> one works over in New York and the other one works for a fintech bank in Holland. So they're, so, so they're not going to come and run it for me. So, so, so you know. neither, neither of those are front of the queue for, uh, for getting into retail security then? <laughs> not really. I mean, you know, people, yeah, it's, a, it's an area that even people I've known for, for years, friends of mine, still ask me, and what is it you do? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just not, you know, 
you know, and you sort of say that you do LP and not only obviously customer theft, and they can't believe people still and things like that. You know, it's quite amazing. You raise that there's this sort of uh, disbelief that the community industry yeah. is such a thing that uh, yeah. yeah, enough of I it said, going you on. Know, they just seem to think that no one steals, and, and it's bizarre. But I suppose if you're not in it and you don't no. witness it, you know, you're incredulous, aren't you? When you find out, you know, stores lose X number of thousands a day, maybe on certain items. You know, where's it going? Well, they're either selling it or they're using it. You know, mm. there's not really too many reasons why people steal. No, you know, but um, I suppose that's uh, why we're in business. So, so look, other than obviously. Um you know, protecting the DCs during lockdown. What other sort of projects are you guys working on right now? Any challenges people said, I've got this problem, come and fix it. You know, what, what are you seeing from the from the industry? Is there a trend in terms of what people are getting in touch for? What, what What's going on? I think if you're talking about recently, I've certainly since COVID, I mean, I, I don't have all the numbers, you know, I'm not privy to a lot of them, obviously. Um, <clears throat> um, I think theft has increased. And now, of course, we've hit a cost of living crisis. So I, 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 sadly, I think it's to be expected that, that theft, you know, across the board, not, not just in physical stores, but even online, you only have to see online fraud, how that's gone up, you know, where there's, Where's the chance of making money? The criminal fraternity, you know, gravitate towards. They 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 don't suddenly just because you stop them or you move them out of one store or out of a DC or online, they just go and find some other criminal activity because that's what they do for a living. Yeah. They they steal in some form or other because it beats working. So I suppose we've seen a lot more focus. On certain products, so we've got um, one of our partners in Dime. They're based in San Diego in the US. We've installed their smart domes, which look a bit like cameras, yeah, yeah. and they they can measure how long you've been dwelling for, and either play an LP message or a or a customer service message. You can link them together. So that's but we are just piloting. They've had success in the US with a thing called Freedom Case. Which you put, which you have um, high value spirits, wines okay. in, and that has tech in it. Um, you can open it and it will play you a message. Um, so we're about, I think, in the next two or three weeks, we're about to deploy those in a very, in a very large supermarket chain. They've <laughs> um, had good those. success in the US. Um, and we're hoping that we can replicate that mm. that here. So it's really focused on, I think, more on certain products. You know, things years ago that never got stolen, like in soup, like steak and cheese, now get stolen. You know, I've witnessed it in yeah. local stores here. You know, I've stood next to someone and watched them pick up and put it in a bag, and I've gone, I think she put that bag. Yeah. <laughs> That's normally when the rest of the people around me walk away. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and go, oh, hang on, might be a bit of trouble here. Yeah. Sort of, you know. but, but, <laughs> but you're right, you've got, you know, people either sort of stealing that for themselves or, you know, for those that want to sell it on, a piece of meat, a steak, you know, 20 well, pounds. Need, or something people like, yes. only steal for two reasons, either to use it or to sell it, or they're kleptomaniacs, I suppose. That's the third reason, you know, but that's not the, you know, it's the, the fact is, is that, they steal it and 
the worrying bit and people might you know go oh why is he going to say that is that every time something's sold of uh, stolen and it's sold someone's bought it mm. yes and we all sit around going oh it's terrible isn't it but who's buying this stuff <laughs> who's who's buying all the stolen merchandise wow <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's there's outlets, there's eBay, there's. Uh, I know, but retailers. don't tell me that if you, you know, if you offer somebody, oh, I, you know, I've got a thirty percent discount on something, they go, oh yeah, or you turn around and say, actually, this has fallen, you know, the old colloquialism, it's fallen off the back of a lorry, it's only ten percent. Yeah. Tell me someone, <laughs> I think I'll take the ten percent one, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying rule on, but there's obviously a substantial number of people who will, you know, buy stuff and yes. not 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 ask a question, um, you know. So yeah, and so um, yeah, hence the reason to try and stop it leaving the store in the first place. Because, exactly, uh, and you can only deter yeah. and displace. You know, we're not a social service. It's um, as I said, people. I mean, you are going to get people who. who buy stuff and steal stuff. I remember I used to a lot of independent clothing shops and I did one out in Buckhurst Hill, menswear. And they used to get a lot of, uh, it's before the premiership, so a lot of first division footballers. People remember the, the old first division. And um, I lived there at the time, now. I used to live in Buckhurst. It's you then. It yeah. might have been you. In, in Essex on the edge of London for those that yeah. don't. Yeah, well, that's where I'm first sort of lived and born in. Chingford, so that's all right. But um, and this particular store, um, he had some really nice stuff. When he finally put CCTV, and we wouldn't, we didn't put tagging. He didn't want to put tags on the clothing, you know. He didn't want to, in these words, damage it. Although they don't damage it, tags, don't damage it. But and he and he caught one of his long longest, you know, customers who felt, you know, it was sort of, you know, like a bonus like a Brucey bonus. He could go and, you know, buy something. Oh, I've been spending a few grand here a month and I'll, and I'll whip that tie or something. Yeah. And that's more wow. common than you think, I think. Well, a whole different conversation about uh, certain, re you know, high-end fashion retailers had problems with long-serving staff that feel, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's okay to take something. But different conversation. So, look, I'm, I'm going to ask you about uh, your latest venture, uh, stack care i know it's completely off at a tangent but uh, but i saw you were doing it and um, before we do that we're just going to hear briefly from our sponsors with their messages and then we'll be back for every type of business the power of a data-driven security video management system designed to give you total control anywhere anytime 3x logic so welcome back to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast. I'm, of course, still talking with Noel Verbruggen. Now, um, Noel, just briefly before the break there, I uh, mentioned that you've got a new venture. I know it's completely off at a tangent in terms of what it's doing, but um, I was intrigued when I saw it. Uh, I must have been a LinkedIn post about it as well. So give, give me a, a quick snippet of, uh, of what you're doing there. Okay, this was um, meant to be my retirement project, okay. <laughs> right? So out in the, when I was out in the States, there's obviously friends out there, and I was at dinner, I think it was 2019. Um, this couple were down um, from upstate, 
staying with these friends of ours and um, he was late for dinner. He was off tagging dolphins. He was a thing called Moat Marine in this area in Florida. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he was late and he came back and I started speaking to him and said, what do you do? And he said, we're um, still testing this uh, monitoring system for the elderly. Um, a passive monitoring system that's intelligent. And I said, oh, that sounds quite interesting. And I was just, I was, I was more curious about the sensing part. You know, my sort of techie brain kicked in. I thought, well, I wonder how that works then. And um, so he ran through it. He'd already sold a business to uh, Philips, circadian light, lighting, like mood lighting, and he, but he still retained a bit of software. And he had friends in the care industry. So he had this thing about developing the software. Anyway, it took about three, four years. And um, it wasn't until later on that year that I said, look, you know, would you think about selling it in the UK? And he said, no, I haven't even thought about it. I've got, you know, 400 million people in America. So, you know, I've got enough on my plate. And uh, I said, well, you know, if I come up with a proposal um, and I think there's a market for it, you know, can I can I get a license and, and sell it? So that's eventually what happened, of course, beginning of 2020, COVID kicked in, which absolutely you know, blew a hole in it. Um, not just here, we hadn't started, but for him, it was a real big deal because they'd started rolling it out. But the, the system uses is artificial intelligence and machine learning um, with three or four sensors. And it learns your behavior based on an incredible data bank an anonymous data bank of people's behavior. So three years research and development went into this product even before it was ever installed in anyone's home. So it takes your, it learns your behavior within about 12 hours and then mixes it in with thousands and thousands of other anonymous people's behavior. And it measures temperature, bathroom visits, sleep. It, it knows if you've had um a bad night's sleep because unlike all the most of the other systems because we're intelligent we know how you're moving around and what part of you is moving around it's all anonymous by the okay. way so you don't identify anybody and through that you basically um that that data is fed to an app and it just allows you to look after your loved ones living on their own and we've been able to spot onset of dementia and things like that. So there's a there's a there's a B to C version which you can buy straight off the website, and then there's a B to B version that we install in care homes and carers, and that uses a browser, so you can put them in the rooms, and it just helps you to keep an eye on people. It's not spy, as I said. There's no cameras or anything like that, and um, we've had some great results, but it's been a little bit stop start because of COVID, as you can imagine. Yeah, you know, fascinating, and uh, hopefully it'll be all start now as well as we uh, as, as we exit out. Yeah, there's a bit of we're we're in the education phase. People yes. have got used to what I call you know the systems uh, telecare, which again a lot of security companies do that because they do the monitoring. Yeah, but that's even though we can feed into that, that's not what we're about. We're about, for example, you worried about your mother your parents are alive i don't know but you know just being able to make sure that they're all right you know and if they're not it'll flag you up saying right. mum mum spent a couple of hours you know got up about four times last night and you can sort of give her a call and say look you know you okay 
But a lot of it was on the back of my own mother sadly passing away. It's what really sort of um, made me think that maybe this is worthwhile doing because she uh, developed something that that her behaviour would have changed, certainly with things like bathroom visits, okay. that would have alerted. And I've, I've had this conversation with my siblings about whether or not, certainly before they knew what the system did, but it certainly would have alerted that something wasn't right. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I believe that. imagine a huge demand for it. And, uh, yeah, I wish you every success for that. I think... Uh... Uh, you'll you'll find uh, hopefully pushing our open door to grow that. Not sure we want to see you retire though, Noel. So uh, we like we like having you around. I'm not going anywhere yet. I've got too many bills to pay. Well, so out of interest, so Intrepid's taken you know great bits of technology and been you know brought them to market. And I know a lot of them are only available through you and and you know you've got great. Some of them are. I mean, on, yeah. But I mean, CCTV isn't. isn't. But we have PS locks, which is a battery operated lock that we sell into the NHS. That go into cabinets yeah. and things like that, you know. It, it, is there any piece of technology, if you like, and the answer might be no, but that you've looked at and thought, nah, that'll never take off. We're not going to offer that. And then the next thing you know, it's an overnight success for something else. I'm just trying, I'm just interested. Is there a sort of major regret, regret where you think, oh, bugger, we really should have added that to the roster oh. of products? Well, to, um, I'm going to answer that in two ways. Uh, first one, serious. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, I, I dabbled in video analytics when it first, yeah. you know, in its infancy. I spent a lot of money as well, but it was, you just, you know, you could lead the horse to water, just could not get it going. So I dropped that one. Okay, that was one, one of the ones that just never flew. I got into energy management and then stupidly thought, no, I want to be bothered about that. It shows you what I know. <laughs> Um, so that wasn't a great one either. Um, and then we were with a company called Profitet that finally got bought by Zebra. Which yeah, I know those guys. Uh, yeah. And the guys who developed that out of Israel um, had this software that would monitor within retailers procurement um, from not only from ordering stage, but when payments were made and could find fraud, basically. And I think well, I think I got them in to see most major retailers. You could not give this away. Could not give it away. So I dropped that one as well. <laughs> and that one got sold. <laughs> anyway, but the funny, the, 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 the one that really got away, um, and if someone's listening to this, they might laugh, was in 1983, yeah, sitting in a bar um, outside of Tokyo, we had to do loads of night work out. You couldn't work in the stores out there. And we were having something to eat, and I was with Ray Higgs, actually, and um, we were eating. I can't remember what we were eating. We probably didn't even know what it was, to be honest, at the time. Um, and I remember this, this guy leant over the bar, picked up something, put it in a machine, and started singing my way. And... Uh, they all started singing, all the rest of the guys in the bar and all that. And we thought, what on earth is this load of old rubbish? You know, completely dismissed it. That was karaoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one that got away. We could have brought the machine back and probably wouldn't be sitting here now. Who knows, Noel? You could have, I don't know what your Frank Sinatra 
voices <laughs> like that uh, you could have been uh, uh, famous on YouTube and now TikTok for uh, for bringing. Uh, but I, honestly, we we, we sort of looked at each other and went, "What on? Earth? Who would want to sing in a? What's all this about? Crazy, isn't it? There, there you go. go. There you go. So, kind of quick, very quickly, biggest success. Then, what's the one if you like nobody else wanted that you went? Oh, that's got a future that you're most proud of. Um. I suppose out of all of them, it would be when I got involved with um, Sentry in the US, the track camera. Yeah. I think it probably is because there was only four of them installed at the time when I took that over here. Uh, my Dutch partners had bought into the old no-go in America because no-go had got sold off outside of North America to Sensomatic. And then they reversed themselves into Sentry technology, which was this travelling CCTV system. And my Dutch partners invested, helped buy it. So by sort of by default, I got this product and thought, oh. And it was in a couple of stores. It might have been in Bentles. Remember, yeah, Bentles? Oh, yeah. I think it was in a DC in Farnborough. They'd all broken down. Whoever put them in, it was complete rubbish. And I... Knew someone at B&Q. I got them out. We got them to show them the system, the brand new version of it called Smart Track. Took them to see Home Depot and Lowe's in the US. And uh, and then they rolled it out. Wow. Came back in and that was it. And they did it as a blueprint. They built their entire CCTV procedures you know, around that. And we did, um, we did loads of them for Asda as well. Sainsbury's. Mm. Um, so, and it's still a great product. We are the only track camera. Right. The only one. And still going strong. Yeah, we still service those B&Q stores. Wow. 22 years they've been in, and they're still working. That's near, nearly the same longevity as karaoke, Noel. So, uh, yeah. Karaoke. Don't get, I'm not going to mention the karaoke again, because no, no. I'll only get, you know, upset. Here we are. Look, final question. And I was going to say, you know, what does the future hold for you and Intrepid? And I know you've spoken about, you know, handing Intrepid to mm. the to the staff to run with. But you know, what what's the what's the plan? You've got, you know, you've got Stack Care as the sort of sideline retirement. Mm. You know, is is Intrepid driving forward with new products? Are you looking to step away? What what's your what's the vision? No, we've. I mean, this this year with 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 we are doing very well, particularly the AS. Mm. Um, and w we've got some new customers. So I don't, you know, even though people keep, you know, ringing a death knell for the high street, I, I suppose it's the market that I've st stayed in traditionally with the AS, the fashion, clothing, um, has always reaped dividends for us. So I can't see us you know, going too far away from from that. And and I think the high street will reinvent itself, away, you know, um, and I see a bright future for us. I've just got to try and find other products, which is what I spend, you know, a part of my week doing, you know. But a, quite a lot of it is through people I know. It's the networking. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest with you. There's one product that we... That I haven't got that hasn't come through somebody I've either known, met, has recommended me, or something like that. You know, 
that might be a good partner for them. Um, yeah, some have failed, as I've explained, but you know, if you, you know, you've got to take a chance, haven't you? Um, and it's really sitting down with customers, as you know, which is what I do quite a lot, is finding out what are the issues, what what are the likely problems going to be, and is there a solution out there? Yeah. You know, and I'm not even going to say I'm going to make it, but if I can find a company that has that or can adapt something, that's probably what I'm best at. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, you know. 30 years of success doing that, uh, you know, longer in the industry. I'm guessing people, you know, see you as a great outlet as well to bring products and say, okay, you know, let's put them within travel. I hope so. I mean, you know, if there's any more out there, please give me a call. <laughs> yeah. Really. And, I don't buy it. It's the next karaoke. <laughs> I'm all ears as well. Send that to me. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Um, uh, a very, very brisk run through uh, a extraordinary uh, career and uh, fabulous success of you built uh, building Intrepid. Long may it continue. Um, thank thank you. you very much for taking the time uh, to join me this week. And I look forward to seeing you in person, no doubt, in the near future. But Noel, for now, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for your time today and the opportunity. It was great. Thank you. Cheers, Paul. <laughs>